Welcome to the Profitable Python. I am your host, Ben McNeil, and on this episode, you will meet Buisile and Levu. Buisile is a freelance software developer, open source contributor, and tutorial writer at realpython.com. When he is not coding, you can usually find him with power tools working on DIY projects. Buisile, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, this this is exciting. So I was I was just curious. Um, I saw some tweets that that you had fired off recently. You just finished PyCon Africa. What was your most yeah. favorite part about that? Oh, I'd say meeting everyone. Uh, so the Python uh, community in Africa is divided into small groups that are country specific. And we've been collaborating online for a long time, but we've never had a chance to have a pan-African PyCon where all the communities are brought together. Hmm. So it was great to finally meet people I'd only seen on Twitter and on email. And the vibe there was just amazing. Uh, hmm. I would say it would be an understatement to say PyCon Africa was fantastic because everyone was really happy to be there. Uh, everyone was supportive and it was just a positive experience for me. Perfect. Yeah, that's that sounds like a lot of fun. Is that kind of like the main, the main uh, like just seeing the, the people face to face, that's like the best? Of course, we, we went there for the talks, but I enjoyed meeting the people the more. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, what, what is a bigger passion for you, web development or carpentry? I'd say it's 50-50. It's I discovered carpentry recently. So I've, I've always loved computers, tinkering with computers, playing with websites and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's very, software development is very stressful. So I needed to find a hobby that was less stressful. And I started doing DIY stuff, carpentry. And I've grown to like it a, a, little, a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, so I haven't had a lot of time to do it, but if I could make a lot of money and retire, I'd probably do that in my retirement. Yeah. Do you see any uh, parallels between programming and carpentry? Is there, or is that getting like too far yes. out there? No, no, it's fine. Uh, I, I find that the, the arts are both creative arts, right? You have to think of what you want to do before you do it. You have to design it in your head or on a piece of paper, sketch it out, uh, determine what sort of materials you're going to use, what sort of joints you're going to use, what tools you'll require, and you start on building it. And the building process is a step-by-step -step process. You make one, if, say you're making a table, for instance, you'll make the, the tabletop, you make the legs, you glue everything together, join it up. Same with software. You have to design it, uh, think about how you're going to build it, what tools you're going to use, and build it from the ground up. So I found the two very similar, but carpentry is less stressful. <laughs> yeah no that's that's great to hear um but if if you had it your way like you would be you would check out with your millions and go hang out with uh wood and and make your creations that's what it sounds like yes 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 i wouldn't do it for a living i'll just do it for uh, just to express my creative passion you know yeah um there's this uh, an instagram page and a pinterest page that i follow where these designers make really interesting uh, they call them river tables um they basically they take live wood uh, like maybe from a tree trunk and then they add a colored resin to it to make a tabletop and the designs look 
absolutely beautiful. And mm. that's something I'd like to do. Uh, the stuff is really expensive. Getting live wood and getting the resins is quite expensive. So like you said, I'll do it after I check out my millions. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That, that I've seen some of those resin projects like they, um, yeah, there's, there's definitely some amazing art in that, in that genre. Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, um, would you consider yourself a full stack developer or do you specialize somehow? Well, I wouldn't say I'm a full stack because I'm still pretty new to this development thing. Um, I've only been working professionally as a developer for a year and I've been doing back end work up until now. I haven't okay. done a lot of front end work. Yeah. So I'd say I'm still working on the back end and not full stack yet, but I can do a little front end, uh, but not, not, uh, I'm not very strong there yet. Yeah. So I, I'm curious about that. Cause basically like you're a freelancer, this is how you, you make your income with this, but you actually like there, there's some way to do these projects where you kind of take the back end to the finish line. Is there some sort of handoff or the projects just don't really require a lot of like fancy front end stuff? How does that work? So the, the last project that I worked on was, um, uh, a customer portal for an events company, right? Uh, they were porting an old project over to a new system. It was built in Python and Django. So my role was to build out parts of the API and document that and test it and build uh, a, a significant chunk of the, uh, the Django application. And then someone else takes care of the front end. Mm-hmm. So that works for me because I'm not uh, comfortable enough in front end yet to, 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 to have them give me that, that, that position. So I worked on, on, on the backend stuff that I can do and then hand it all over to a more uh, experienced professionals in, 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 in front end. Yeah, I'm always, I'm always curious about how this works uh, with people freelancing because basically mm-hmm. um, like what you just said is very empowering because somebody kind of starting out or maybe like for, for me personally, like front end is not like my, my specialty. I, I kind of gravitate towards the back end too. And it's empowering what you just said, because like you can get really good at that and actually go out and create value and make a living from. It. So thanks for sharing that. No, it's a pleasure. Well, I am learning uh, front end. I'm currently taking a JavaScript course and reading a few books. So hopefully by the end of next year, I'll be able to do front end as well. Okay, cool. So that's on the horizon. Yes, yes. Awesome. So uh, how does working with Mozilla fit into your, in, into your specialty? Because I know there, there was a picture that you had on Twitter. You're like, look, like I'm in the, the Mozilla picture. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's an, actually an interesting story. Um, how, I, how I got into Mozilla was I didn't think it would happen, but um, I'll tell you a story about a time when I was in college, right? Mm-hmm. I had an epic fail, you know, uh, I made a big mistake. So there were some forms I was supposed to fill out just before exams. And I didn't fill out the forms in time. I didn't submit them in time. And because of that, I couldn't sit for the exams. And uh, there were changes in the, in the college setup and the curriculum changed. And basically, I couldn't sit for the exams and I had to retake the whole year. Hmm. And at the time, my financial situation didn't allow me to do that. So I couldn't, I couldn't retake the year. So I had to drop out and I couldn't continue my education. Hmm. And at the time I was crushed because uh, 
in Zimbabwe, if you want to work in corporate or work in any business, basically, you have to have some sort of qualification from an accredited institution. And I didn't have that. And so I thought, man, my life is over. I'm not ever going to work in tech. Uh, you know, I'm doomed. Woe is me. Mm. But I discovered that there's an alternative route to getting into tech, which is uh, basically building your own brand, building a portfolio, getting jobs. And one way to do that was to contribute to open source. So that's when I started reading about this open source thing. And that's when I discovered Mozilla. And when I joined, I had heard a lot of horror stories from different open source communities, especially the Linux community, uh, how unfriendly they are to beginners and, and all that. But Mozilla was very different. They mm. were welcoming and very supportive. And the community actually has an entire team I think it's called the participation team now. That's dedicated to helping new contributors get on board, find work to do, and support them through their journey. So I got in there. Uh, I, I didn't know much. Uh, I think at the time I only knew HTML and CSS. But working on Mozilla projects, I picked up a lot of skills. Like I learned how to use Python. I, I learned how to use version control, Mercurial, Git. I learned how to work on bugs, how to test software. I learned how to use PyTest. So I learned a lot of the stuff I know now through working on the Mozilla projects with the different engineers and the different teams. And that's where I owe a lot of um, my success to working on that project. And many of the people I met working on the project became are now in my professional network. They're, they're my friends today. So it fits in, to, to go back to your question, I'd say Mozilla played an important role in giving me the skills that I have now, uh, working on that open source project. And it also aligns with my values because Mozilla is an organization that believes in uh, free and open internet and accessible internet. And that's sort of stuff that I care about. So working on it was very good because I knew I was doing meaningful work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an amazing story. And, and what you kind of brought up there, like it seems scary. And then you hear all this stuff about it, it, like yeah. out there on the interwebs about like, Oh, you know, you don't want to go down that route. Like that, how awesome is that, mm -hmm. that you just pushed through and I mean, it made for like a really unique life experience. Yes, definitely. Um, I, it was a lot of fun, you know, uh, and I, it prepared me for working as a remote worker because, mm. uh, Mozilla is a globally distributed project. So you have contributors and staff members all over the world and you had to figure out time zones, meeting times, and, and it, it helped me be a better communicator too because when you're working remotely, you don't have face-to-face -face, uh, communication like we have now. You, you really have to be good in expressing yourself and being succinct and, uh, you know, just right when you're writing emails or bug reports or things like that. So it, it has been a positive experience for the most part. Hmm. It, do you have like maybe like one nugget or two nuggets of advice to someone that's like, I want to repeat something like that. I want to build my professional network. I want to get involved with a big project like this and go out there and, mm -hmm. and uh, start to build my brand. Do you have any sort of like nuggets, I guess, knowledge bombs you could drop on the audience? Yeah. What I'd say is uh, find a project that matters to you, right? Don't just work on any project because you can, but find a project that matters to you. So hopefully it should be something you care about and in a, using a language stack, you either know or interested in learning. And then if you can uh, figure out how to reach 
the mentors or the maintainers of the project. If you can find them online, follow them or email them, tell them you're interested and have them let you know what, where they need the most help. Just tell, find the maintainers, tell them you can help and have them tell you how to help. Or if the project is well documented and it's got a good issue tracker and you can see some issues, find an issue you can work on, express your interest in the issue, work on it and start and start. What I'd say is it, our contributions to open source are not always code related. Hmm. For instance, when I started with uh, Mozilla, I didn't write any code. I was just doing manual testing, which basically meant, uh, say an internal website has undergone a UX overhaul. You take the website, you test it out just manually, open the website, click here, click there, type that. You know, that's what I did for a few years. And then after that, I tested Firefox. Uh, we tested nightly and beta builds just to make sure that no new bugs were introduced. The bugs that were supposed to be fixed were actually fixed. And then after a while, that's when I started coding. But it's possible to do a lot uh, uh, for an open source project without actually coding anything. You could write documentation. You could uh, what they call bug triaging, which is basically getting the right bugs in front of the right people or getting more information from the people who report bugs so that the developers uh, can work on the bugs quicker. Hmm. So there's just a lot you can do, but it's usually not very clear. But the maintainers usually know what a project needs. So the best advice I can give is get in touch with the maintainers, figure out a way to get in touch with them, ask them how you can help. Okay, great. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's really awesome. Um, are you familiar with the other open source uh, browser project, the Brave, the Brave project? Yes, 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 I am. Um, is the, I'm kind of curious what your take is on that. Um, uh, are, are you excited about it at all? Or, or what do you think about it? So the Brave project was started by, um, oh gosh, what's his name? The uh, JavaScript guy. Let me, let me look it up. Yes, yes. <laughs> the, 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 the creator of JavaScript. Um, uh, yes. Who, who made Brave? Yeah, carry on. We, we know who we're talking about here. Okay, it's, uh, okay. okay. <laughs> so he used to be, he used to be CTO at, uh, at Mozilla. Okay. And then uh, he left, I think there was some problem and then he left and then he started the Brave Browser project. But so I haven't used it um, uh, uh, at all, but what I do know about it is that it's, uh, it's private, it puts your privacy first and it has uh, good ad blockers and anti-tracking uh, features. So I've heard good things about that, but mm -hmm. I haven't had the time to use it at all. But I think it's, a, it's good to have more browsers in the market. It creates competition. It gives users choices and options. So I think it's pretty good. Yeah, and just to, just to cover uh, what we're... Uh, so it's uh, Brendan Ike, I think is how you pronounce it, or E-I-C-H? Exactly, exactly. yeah, okay. that's him. That's yeah. Him. yeah. Do you, so he, uh, yeah, he's a guy who created JavaScript, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, the uh, one thing that really caught my eye with that project is they their their business model where it's like paid you get paid to surf kind of is like what they're going for. Are you um, they pay in Bitcoin or something, right? It's it's like their own token, this bat uh, basic attention token, which has like it's like okay. 30, 30 cents a token or something like that. Um, are you a fan of cryptocurrency or or not so much? I think cryptocurrency is a good idea. Uh, because it enables uh, payments to be made to countries that 
aren't able to receive payments or transfer payments. It's good for making payments when you want to be anonymous. Uh, it's good for receiving payments when you're, say, for instance, if you're in a sanctioned country and you're, or maybe a country that has an oppressive government and you run a journalism agency. So it's not, it might not be easy to get funding through the formal channels, but cryptocurrencies enable uh, organizations and groups like that to get funding because uh, Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies are not easy to block as um, compared to conventional payment methods. So I like uh, certain things about cryptocurrencies, but what I don't like about them is I find them very hard, difficult to understand the concept of cryptocurrencies, how they work, how they're generated. It goes over my head, but I think that the idea is a very good one and it works for some people. Uh, I haven't used them myself, but I, I think it's, it's, it's a good uh, avenue to consider if you are receiving payments or if you are, if you, if you want to invest in cryptocurrencies or, or something like that, but I haven't used them much myself. Okay. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Fair enough. Uh, the reason that I kind of bring this up, I know uh, I have limited experience with them, but one thing that I've, I found uh, there's like an actual integration with the browser. So there's this whole talk about uh, uh, web 2.0 where you actually like for Ethereum, for example, like there's special Ethereum websites that are integrated with the token. So you can do, spe okay. it's, it's almost like its own special browser. And I figured since we're kind of in the web development space, like, do you, do you have any remarks on that or is it too soon to really tell like what an Ethereum browser? No, I, like? I don't, I, I, I don't know much. I don't know enough to have a comment. Let me say, let me put it that way. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah. We'll, yeah, yeah. we'll, we'll, uh, we'll come back to that the next time we do an episode. So, okay. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for sharing that. So, uh, I, I did want to touch on what was the biggest takeaway you learned from being self-taught? Because that's pretty amazing, like your accomplishments. You know, what was your biggest takeaway? I'd say it's figuring out what learning style works for you. Hmm. That's number one. And number two is keep going at it, right? So on on, on, on the learning style, it's, there are lots of resources right now, especially when you're starting out. You know, there's you have videos, you have tutorials, blogs, actual courses, interactive websites, and you figure out what works for you. What works for someone else might not for you. So figure out what works for you and what sort of learning environment. It, I think the I think so, the audio uh, just went the audio just went sour. Um. Try it's it's really it's really cracking up. Maybe we need to uh, kill the video. You were just getting into the good stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can hear you. It's it's still a little choppy. Let's see. Um, let's do another sound test real quick. Okay. Sound check. Yes. Uh, I, I hear it a little bit. Um, do you think it would be good to disconnect and reconnect? Do you want to try that real quick? All right. Let's try that.
So we'll be right back to the interview, folks. We are just disconnecting and reconnecting now. We're doing a podcast with Vuisile and Lavu. And so far, this has been a pretty fun show, folks. Can you hear me now? Oh, we are we are ready to go. You sound great, and the videos here. So, where we just left off, you were you were talking about being self taught and some of your biggest takeaways, and then you started to dive into it. All right. So, I'd say figure out a good learn what a good learning environment is for you, and figure out what your learning style is. Right. Mm -hmm. And the sooner you do it, the faster you will get to go. So, for instance, for me. I find that I, like you said, you're a night owl. I'm a night owl too. I do, I will study better at night. Mm -hmm. And I prefer videos to tutorials or books, right? So if I can watch a video and follow along, that's fine. Books are okay for reference, uh, for reference sake, but I don't do very well with books. Yeah. And then uh, I find that I, I can not only learn so much in a day, so I'll just maybe work on through a tutorial for an hour and that's usually my max. Mm. So advice I'd give to someone is figure out what works for you and do that. And then the second thing is don't give up. Uh, so when you, when you're starting out, it can take, uh, it can be quite disheartening to read a tutorial, think you've got it. And then you try, maybe you, you look at what other developers out there are doing and then you think, Oh no, I'm so far, so far behind. Just keep going, you know, keep going. And eventually, if you work hard at it, you'll figure it out. It will all click. Yeah, I love that so much. So, like, you're, you're talking about, like, not comparing yourself with somebody else. And that's, like, as humans, oh, we, yeah. Yeah. Th like, it's almost like we, if we don't catch ourselves, we, we consistently go down that path. So, I love the message that you're talking about there. Just focus on you. Focus on learning about you and, and how you learn best. I love that so much. Thanks for sharing. Um, when picking up a course to help you grow your skills, how do you size it up to know if it's going to be like worth your time? But there are three things I look at. Firstly, who the course author is, right? Okay. Do they have any other content out there that is free that I can check out, right? And I'll look at the, the reviews on the course. Um, what are people who've taken the course saying about it? Uh, what are people saying on, on different websites and not just on the course website? And then uh, the third is a gut feeling. I'll just explain courses, uh, like a few chapters, a few uh, lessons that you can sample. I'll go through that, go through the course upline and see how I feel about it. So if the course has good reviews, the content author has other work, in the public domain that I can look at that looks good and I feel good about the course, I'll take it. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that too, because like that right there could potentially save somebody like thousands of dollars, you know, just going down the wrong path. You know? <laughs> right. I've, lost, I've lost some money. I've lost some money. I've lost some money not doing that. So I, I know better now. Yeah. This is, this is what we do on the show. We take people's experiences and hand them down and hopefully, you know, add some value in the process. So thank you for sharing that. Um, when it comes to meetups yeah. and conferences, how do you make the most of those? 
Because I, I know uh, you had mentioned something about that in the pre-interview, how you would like rebuild. If you had to start over from scratch, how would you rebuild your network and get profitable? And you said meetups and conferences. So how do you make the most of those? Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you an experience I had. Uh, the first job I ever had was I was working in tech support for a VPN company. And how I got the job is I, I knew the CEO of the company. I had met him at a conference and we were good friends, right? So whenever I go to a conference um, or a meetup, I mean, the typical talks are important, yes. But to me, meeting people is more important because usually conferences have uh, their videos recorded. So you can always watch them later on YouTube or wherever they're hosted. So my, my uh, priority when I'm getting to the conference is to talk to as many people as I can and make connections, right? I'll, I'll identify, usually there's some people that I'll identify people I want to meet and do some research about them, what's interesting about them, and then walk up to them and talk to them. And usually because I've done research on them, I've read up about them, I, I have a few things to talk about just to break the ice and uh, that gets the conversation going. So I try to meet at least two new people on each day of the conference or after each session, like maybe in the morning session or afternoon session. So you'll find that I don't really spend a lot of time listening to the talks, uh, but I, I spend most of my time in the hallway track or, you know, speaking to people. I, I do attend some of the talks because usually I like to blog about the, the meetups or the talks I attend, but mostly I spend most of the time talking to people. So that, that has uh, helped me in a, in a lot of ways because I've gotten to meet uh, really interesting people and uh, diverse people from all over. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that was kind of the, the follow-up to that question was how has that, how has that served you? And it sounds like your business or your ability to get clients is kind of based on the quality of your network. And so this is one way that you do that. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So uh, I mentioned the first job I had is I met this uh, the CEO of this company. I, I didn't know he was a CEO of said company. And we, we just talked and he talked about how he was a software developer and I was learning development at the time. And we, we, we connected. And then after a few months, uh, I posted on, on, on social network that uh, I was looking for a job. He saw that. He's like, hey, man, I have an opening in my company. Do you want to work for me? I'm like, oh, yeah, sure. I'm looking for a job. Awesome. So... Hmm. What I find is talking to people, creating a network, uh, really helps, right? And sometimes if you want to be aggressive about it, talk to people and find out what their problems are or what their biggest pain points are in their, in their business or in their daily lives. And if you're a developer, you could sort of uh, place yourself in a position where you offer to solve that problem for them. Say, for instance, you attend a conference on, um, I don't know, a retail conference. Uh, you could figure out what people in the retail industry have a problem with, and you could go back and build a solution to that problem. And then after, I mean, reach out to your contact that you made at the conference, say, hey, I heard you talking about this problem. Here's something I made, would you be interested in this? Yeah. Um, so that's, that's one way to go about it. Hmm. Yeah, that's, uh, man. I can tell you're going to go far just because of how, uh, yeah, how you're, how you're, how you would deal with a situation like that. Like, um, I, I just, I couldn't agree more with you, I guess is what I'm trying to say. 
nobody's going to give you a dollar out of their wallet unless you're solving a problem for them. And you're just going right, right to the jugular. Like what is, you know, what are the problems that you need solved or like, how can I orient my solutions around your problems? I love it. Thank you for sharing that. Um, when it comes to making tutorials, cause you do the, uh, the real, real Python, uh, collaboration. Have you found that if there's any yeah. practices that help make a good tutorial great? Yes, yes. I'd say uh, doing a lot of research before even thinking of submitting the tutorial. So the way um, the real Python process works is you propose a topic and then uh, the editors and internal reviewers go through and yeah, yeah, okay, this is okay, this is not okay. So do a lot of research on a topic before you write about it. So I find that uh, if there are books that touch on the subject, uh, documentation, get as many sources as possible and then pick the best parts from each. And this can be quite difficult to do because some libraries or some aspects of uh, whatever you're writing about may not be well documented. Hmm. So you may have to dig deep into the source code, to figure out how things work. And usually doing that helps because once, if something's not well documented and you take the time to dig deep into it and then write a tutorial about it, it becomes the documentation, so, so to speak. So the uh, mm. best practice I find is doing a lot of research on from multiple sources before writing a tutorial. Okay, perfect. And when it comes to decomposing these different uh, resources, I didn't know that we were going to go here in this conversation, but I'm curious, I'm intrigued now. Okay. Uh, you know, so uh -huh. that, that process you're explaining can be like, like pretty laborious. So how do you, I mean, how do you approach something like that? I guess you have to be, yeah, I, I'll just leave it open-ended. How do you approach, how do you, like, how do you approach that? Okay. So the process at Low Python is you create what is called um, uh, what's called a tutorial outline, right? A rough general outline of what your tutorial is going to cover. So let's suppose, for instance, the last article I wrote was on uh, utilities that are found in the standard library for handling files, right? So the, the, the way I broke it down is uh, how do you open a file? How do you read a file? How do you write to a file? How do you create a temporary file? How do you create a directory? How do you rename a directory? How do you move a directory? How do you delete a directory, right? So there's seven things I wanted to, the tutorial to have. So the first thing is break it down, break the bigger problem down into a bunch of smaller steps and then research on the specific step you want. Okay, what are the tutorials or the books out there saying about how to read a file? What is the Python standard library saying about this? What's, what are the video courses? Like what are the authors of the, 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 the functions or the projects or the framework saying about this? What are their opinions on, on this? And then once you have those, you move on to the next one and the next one and the next one. And then after that, you have a whole bunch of information. And then now it's your job to think of your audience. Okay, who's going to read this tutorial? Is it a beginner? Is it an advanced user? And then tailor it to your audience. So if you're, say for instance, if you're working on an article targeted at beginners, you might have to leave out some of the more abstract stuff and, and, and leave in the practical, very helpful stuff that they would understand. 
so that's one way to approach it. Another way to approach it is like I know some tutorials are very long, like book length. You know, <laughs> yeah. so what what tutorial writers do is they break them up into <laughs> they break them up into series. Say, for instance, this is part one of how to do this. This is part two of how to do this. But it's actually quite interesting because um, there's one uh, one tutorial that was done by Anthony Shaw. It's on uh, it's a deep dive into C Python. It was so long that the team and he, he and the team actually thought, you know what, let's turn this into a book, and they're going to be doing that next year. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you never know but, where uh, you're. I think it comes up. <laughs> You never know how long a tutorial is going to be. For instance, when I yeah. wrote my first tutorial, I thought, nah, this is just going to be a thousand words, right? And it turned out to be more than 5,000. So, wow. because it's just so much stuff and I couldn't leave out any of the stuff. So, <laughs> uh, I, I'd, I'd say what, what guides uh, uh, the tutorial writing is the target audience and how much information is in there. So, sometimes it makes sense to leave out some information and other times it doesn't. So, it, it just depends on who you're writing for and what your goals are with the tutorial. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And I'm curious, like uh, just, just cause I have so much um, um, ignorance in this space. So I, I just, I'm, I'm genuinely curious, mm -hmm. like, like why would you not post the tutorial on medium.com or your own blog? Like why, why real Python, I guess. Okay. So I do post on my own website, but I don't get paid for the articles I post on my own blog. Whereas with RealPython, I get paid for the article. So that, that's it. Um, I get paid for the articles on RealPython and RealPython gets more traffic. So if I post something on RealPython, I can put a link to my own website and that way I'll get some of that traffic. Hmm. So it's, a, it's, a, it's an exposure thing. Okay, cool. And then the team, because you had mentioned there's like a whole team that like a review team, like they have a lot of moving parts there. So have you been able to leverage that to help yourself grow as a tutorial maker and uh, just overall software developer? Like, is there, is there like some benefit to collaborating with them as well Out, outside of like the financial and traffic piece? Yes. 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 So the team at RealPython are very smart people. You know, like you have book authors, uh, engineers, data scientists, editors, uh, and, and graphics people and video people, and they're very, very talented. So uh, we have a Slack Slack channel and where we just chat away. And uh, it's always great to hear their experiences and their, what they do for work and like other, other than uh, RealPython. And, talking to them, I've learned a lot. And for instance, when I'm coding this, I just hop onto the Slack channel, okay, how do I do this? And then they'll point out some libraries or uh, approaches to solving problems that I've never experienced before. And man, the people there are smart. Like there's, there's one guy who works for NASA uh, and there's another, another one who's a professor and uh, one guy uh, has, has written a bunch of books. So these are, very, very, very smart people. And I feel like I'm standing in the midst of giants whenever I'm there. And I feel very small. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, but overall, it's, it's, it's like a great experience. It sounds like. Learn from them. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So I'd encourage anyone who would like to write for real Python to, to, to consider it because there's a, a very good tight knit community and it, it's a good experience. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. That's, that's uh, awesome to hear. 
So what excites you about the application of AI in fields like disaster prevention, uh, medical, robotics, and ethics? Hmm, that's that's a, a great question. Um, so I don't work in AI. I don't know much about AI uh, on the technical side, but I do get excited when I think about uh, the possibilities that AI brings. Uh, for instance, you mentioned the medical field, right? I believe that leveraged correctly, AI could make good doctors great, right? It it will allow doctors to diagnose diseases early and uh, in a more affordable way. I remember reading this project, I think it's a Google project, that uh, takes scans of uh, retinal scans and uses that information from the retinal scan to tell a lot about a person, such as their gender, whether they smoke or not, uh, whether they're at risk of uh, heart disease, or even if they have a certain cancers or, or whatnot in their system. Just from their from eyes? Now, normally human beings, from their eyes, yes. Uh, That's crazy. From the, retinal scan. So the way it works, the way it works is, um, so at the back of the eye, the retina, there's a bunch of veins in there. And then looking at those veins, they can tell a lot. So the, the, the project took, I think, maybe like something like 200,000 retinal scans and medical records of those people. And they built a model around that that can learn and predict what's going on with the person. So just from looking at a retinal scan, they can probably tell whether you're male, female or whatever, um, uh, whether you're a smoker or not. And if you're at risk of, say, heart disease, you know, hmm. just from a single retinal scan. And so that's uh, AI leveraged for good, right? Yeah. And when you say in, <laughs> in, in, in disaster, disaster relief, um, governments and first responders to a disaster, say an earthquake or, uh, I don't know, a tsunami or something, a cyclone, the first thing you want to know before they get to a place where that, that's been affected is, how bad is the damage, right? What has been damaged? Is it roads, is it infrastructure, is it fire damage, is it water damage, etc. And getting that information is important because they need to create a damage map and figure out how much resources they need to send out and what they need to do or how quickly they need to act. Now, it's really difficult to do it when the infrastructure is broken when you can't drive up to the place or when you can't fly over the place. Now, AI could be leveraged to say, uh, take satellite images, and right? Uh, satellite images of the area, figure out where the fires are or where the earthquake hit and AI can be used to create those damage maps quickly and then send them to governments or first responders. Uh, and so for instance, there's a project I, I read about recently. Uh, this is also a Google project. <laughs> it's, um, it, 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 it enables people in a certain geographic area to tell how bad a storm will be before it, it happens. So the, 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 the program, takes geographic data from the region. There's a river and some mountains, uh, rainfall patterns and, and uh, settlements around, around the river. So it takes that information and information about past floods to predict how bad a flood, excuse me, a flood or cyclone would be and what houses or what settlements would be affected if it were to flood. So that way they can predict how much damage the cyclone or the typhoon or whatever will cause before it actually happens. And so that helps in evacuating uh, people living in that settlement. So there's, there's a, lot of, a lot of good. And then uh, you mentioned, um, and, and logistics, say, for instance, in, uh, 
warehouses. AI can be used to create a more efficient and faster workforce. For instance, I know uh, there's a, uh, an e-commerce company called Alibaba. Are you aware of it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Alibaba uses uh, robots in their warehouses for order fulfillment, right? So the robots are smart. Uh, they can figure, pick, they can receive orders, pick out the stuff, take it to packing, and they work 24 hours a day, right? That's a good thing with AI is that unlike human workers, they, they need wages, they need to work eight hours a day, they need to take breaks, they get tired, they want to take some time off, but AI can be used to make a workforce that's fully automated. Now, there's some ethical issues about that, but it, it can save money and it can, be, it can improve profits for a business. Uh, I think... AI can also be used in education for AI-assisted learning. I think we're going to touch on that uh, because I did contribute to a project that had this uh, AI-assisted learning a little. And, but there's a downside too. Um, there's an ethical question whenever mm -hmm. we talk about artificial intelligence. Like uh, there's privacy concerns, right? What if the AI is misused? What if uh, what happens when we lose our jobs to AI? Uh, you know, and questions like that. So I believe if done well, AI could be very good. It could save lives. It could cut costs, increase profits for businesses. It could, it could be a good force if used and governed well. Yeah, that's, that's the key. I, I see a lot of uh, like Elon Musk content where he, I mean, I, I can never uh -huh. really read the guy very well, but he's like, He's like, oh yeah, like uh -huh. we're already, we're already doing we're doing it too fast. And he's like, I tried to warn yeah. everyone, and I'm just like, what is going on here? But yeah, I think you bring yeah. up a valid point. And he we, wants to take us to Mars because yeah. Uh, say that again. I'm saying he wants to take us to Mars to run away from all the air here. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's uh, it's something else. Uh, that project that you mentioned, was that the, how do you pronounce it? O Opia? O-P-P-I-A? Is that the educational? Yes. yes. Uh, tell us about that a little so, bit. I, uh, I looked it up online. It looks pretty cool. Yeah. So uh, Opia is an educational platform that's interactive and immersive. So their goal is to create a learning platform that offers more than just basic or static text and images, right? So the way it works is you can learn pretty much anything, but right now the project only has, I think, maths and science lesson. So if you say you're learning fractions, it'll, it, it presents the, the lessons in story format where you click on a story and interact with the story. And it gives you open-ended questions that you can answer and how you respond to those questions is how it determines whether you really understand the concept or not. So if you respond to a question incorrectly, uh, it will know, okay, you need to learn this first, because the way you answer the question suggests that you need to learn this first. So how about we revisit this topic first? So it uses a little AI to predict what a user needs, struggles with, or what a user could learn after based on their strengths and their weaknesses. Hmm. Yeah, it sounds like an awesome learning resource. I, I'm always on the hunt for new stuff like that. Uh, and so I'm going to add that to my list. I'm going to mm -hmm. dig into it, but I can already tell it's, it's going to be awesome. It already is awesome. So if, 
if you were going to give a technical talk next month at an international conference, what topic would you pick? Yep. Oh, I actually am working on that. So uh, right now is I talk about testing. Uh, I recently learned how to use PyTest, and I think it's one of the best tools in the world. So I want okay. everyone to be on my side. So yeah. I'm going to give a talk about PyTest and testing. Cool. Are, how, how do you prepare for something like that? Uh, do you, or, or are you about to find out? <laughs> well, uh, uh, one way is to... Uh, see if there are any talks already out there on the subject, uh, identify who your target audience is, and just do some research and put something together. So in my case, uh, I, I just learned PyTest. I haven't used it uh, for a long time. So I'll probably do an introduction to PyTest talk uh, for people who maybe are using unit tests, who are thinking of switching over to, or try and convince people still using unit tests to switch over to PyTest. So uh, I'll it will probably be a, a beginner level, intermediate level talk. Not, nothing that goes into the deep internals of PyTest. Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm always intrigued with how um, uh, unit testing works with like Flask or Django type thing. So uh, yeah, you've definitely got my ear on that. Okay, all right. Uh, how, how has blogging served you as a developer? Oh man, uh, I think blogging has been the best thing I ever did. Uh, hmm. It's been very, it's worked very well for me in, in my career uh, because, oh, where do I even start? Um, I've been blogging uh, for about 10 years now. Okay. And like, so, okay, so let me explain my situation a little bit. Um, I live in Zimbabwe, in Africa, and I, I live in a country that has, doesn't have a very good software development in, software development industry, and I couldn't work in corporate because I didn't have the qualifications. So I need a way to prove that I know what I'm talking about or that I know some stuff. So blogging has been my way of doing that. You know, like if I blog about something, I show that I know how to do X, Y, Z. And that has gotten me a lot of uh, opportunities because uh, some people read my blog and they go, hey, could you do this for us? We, we noticed that you wrote about this. Uh, we'd like you to do this for us. So I've gotten, I think, all the jobs I've gotten and all the opportunities I've gotten directly or indirectly through blogging. So hmm. I would say it's been a great help to me in my career. Yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Are there any... Uh... I've made friends through Say, say that again. I'm saying I've even made friends through blogging. <laughs> yeah, that's, it sounds, it sounds like a, like a no brainer almost like, like if you're a developer and you're not cutting out some time to do blogging, like what, what are you trying to, you know, what are your goals? Do you actually think you can accomplish those with, with cutting this out? That's kind of what I'm mm -hmm. hearing from you. What, yeah. what are some, so, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Not to say that, so yeah. So this is not to say that uh, good developers, I mean, all developers should have a blog, right? Okay. Uh, because there are a lot of great developers who don't have any online presence or whatever. But I was inspired by uh, a few uh, successful bloggers. Like, for instance, uh, people like Jeff Atwood and uh, uh, Joel Spolsky. Uh, Jeff Atwood runs Coding Horror. Joel Spolsky runs uh, Joel on Software. And these are the people who founded Stack Overflow. 
So I think uh, a lot of the, the success of Stack Overflow came from the individual success of their blogs. And a lot of the great developers I know, uh, like the massively successful developers, have blogs or podcasts or some sort of online presence. So I thought, oh, okay, if they could do it, maybe I should give it a shot. And it's, 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 been, it's been great. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. And I was curious, so I, like... What I'm saying is... Oh, go ahead. If someone can do it... Sorry, if someone can do it, if someone can do it, if you can, if you're a developer and you, I mean, if you can share whatever knowledge you have in some format, not everyone can be a blogger, but at least just try, you know, give talks, write books, uh, write blogs, do podcasts, do video screencasts, something, just give back to the community, uh, share what you know with some other people. Yeah. And it sounds like long-term it's really gonna, I mean, there's just a huge reward for very little risk like you're risking your ego for this huge reward base is that kind of what i'm hearing yes <laughs> yes so when, when i started uh i i didn't know what what it was going to amount to you know and i didn't have any readers i didn't have any followers but uh, even now i don't have a lot of followers I mean, my, my blog isn't overly popular hopefully it will be after the show uh, <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, at times you feel like you're just sending out your thoughts into the void, you know, like you're saying, you're risking your ego. Is anyone even going to read this? And sometimes you get people with nasty comments like, ha ha, you don't know what you're talking about. Let the professionals do it. So you're putting yourself out there, right? And there's, there's that risk. Like, what, why am I even doing this? But it, it, it's a good thing because one, it, it helps you organize your thoughts outside your own head. It, it helps you become a better communicator, you become a better writer, and there's a chance that it will uh, boost your profile and get you opportunities. So it's, it's, it's a win-win, even if you don't get any financial reward from it, but you become a better person for it. Mm, yeah, I love it. What do you think is like one of the biggest takeaways that you've had on writing a good blog post? Hmm. Well, I'd say be real. Don't try to write like someone else. Use your own authentic writing style. Um, take, pay attention to standards and quality, right? Uh, because people get turned off by uh, sloppy writing and spelling errors and mistakes in your code. So make sure your content is good. It's up to a certain standard. Your spellings are correct. Your code examples work. Your tests run. Uh, and have a target audience. Know who you're writing for. Don't write just like, don't, I mean, assume people are going to read your, your blog. Don't just write into the void. Assume someone's going to read it and picture them when you're writing. it. Uh, that, that will help guide uh, your work because if you know who's going to read, if you assume that I'm going to read your blog post, you're not going to be sloppy when you're writing. You're going to put your best into it. And one takeaway I have is don't assume, assume that uh, people reading your blog are not experts, right? They've got, they're talented, they're intelligent, but they're not experts. So don't use language like uh, say, oh, just, just do this. Uh, simply click here, simply because what may be simple to you may not be very simple to someone else. So Assume that someone is a beginner, total beginner, but they're intelligent, they can get it, but use simple language, don't use jargon, don't make it com more complicated than it needs to be. Uh, 
uh, your readers will appreciate that and it will help more people understand your blogs and your, your, your articles. Yeah, that, that is excellent. It sounds like it's a little harder to, ex like it sounds good, but hard to execute on. And so you just have to practice. Like, how do you develop that intuition yeah, yeah. to, you know, to like what is simple, you know, how, just enough complexity to push them along. Like that's, that's some tough stuff. Yes, yes. So always ask for feedback uh, from people who read your blog, uh, the comments they give you or post it. Like what I, what I did personally was I share my blog posts everywhere I can and I always ask for feedback. So if someone doesn't understand something in a blog post, I wrote, that's, that, that means I need to work on simplifying either the blog post or future blog posts. So mm. always get feedback. Uh, that's, that's one way to, to make sure you're writing content that's not overly complex. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, let's see here. What do you do to protect your focus from the weapons of mass distraction? Oh, <laughs> okay. Twitter, YouTube, and WhatsApp, those are the weapons of my mass distraction. Very bad for focus. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> so one thing, first thing, <laughs> the first thing is uh, plan my day, right? Plan out my day, uh, create a to-do list. This is what I'm going to work on. I'm going to spend X amount of time working on this. And until that's done, no toying with WMDs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's, that's, that, that's a great help. Planning your day. Uh, it mm. helps keep you focused. So even if I go into a YouTube rabbit hole, I'll be like, oh, no, I need to do something. <laughs> Let me check. Let you do yeah. this, you know? So planning your day helps. Um, I've, I've heard some people say they actually uh, use applications. I've never used those before, but apps that block your access to these social media sites. I haven't tried those out yet, but for me, just planning your day and sticking to the plan until you're done works for me. Okay. And I'm sure there's some, um, uh, methodology you use to prioritize or, I mean, just cause you have a to-do list, like there's some sort of order, mm -hmm. like something has priority or how do you kind of, uh, I mean, I guess it's just planning and revisiting your plan every day. It's yeah. It's a very simple process. Uh, I tag tasks like this is important, not important. And then there's important, important, not so urgent. So that's how I do it. I just tag tasks. Is it important? Is it urgent? Is it not important? So I do the important and urgent tasks first, and then everything else follows after that. So it's just an order of urgency and importance. Yeah. You're a seven habits guy, aren't you? I haven't really read it, but I've, I've read a bunch of summaries about it. So yeah. Cause that, that's some, that's some quadrant. What you're talking about there is uh, some of the quadrant stuff that they talk uh -huh. about. And I, oh man, I oh, love, really? I love that. So yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I will, I will definitely read that book now. I'll read that book now. I've, read a lot of, I've heard a lot of good things about it, but I haven't actually gone out to, to get it. Yeah. 
Yeah, they're like literally. They must have. They must have been listening to you, and they stole some material from you, or or something, because they're literally talking <laughs> it, with that language. <laughs> very, very nice. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, what are some tools that you use to track deadlines? Oh, I don't actually use any tools. I have, uh, well, except one. I have a, a tool called, uh, I don't know what it's called, so it's a tool that's built, built into my Ubuntu. It's a, a to do list app. And, uh, but I basically do things the old school way. I write down, uh, I have a notebook. I write down stuff on my notebook and put the deadlines there. Uh, that's that's what I, I do. I don't use any special tools or anything. I okay. have a, a to-do list app on my computer, but I just write deadlines down in a book and then check them off. Yeah, that's perfect. What uh, what sort of habits do you practice to keep a project on or ahead of schedule? creating daily to-do lists. Like I, I, I prefer breaking things down to the smallest unit possible. So I plan out, say maybe a three month plan. I'm, this is what I'm going to do the first month. This is what I'm going to do in the second month and so on and so on. And then I like to break it down by the day. Okay, what am I doing today to achieve my monthly goal? And then I, I come up with tasks for that day. Hmm. Usually planning it out that way works. works it works very well because I, I get... Uh, when I have too many goals in my head, I get confused and anxious. And so if I just focus on a few goals for the day, that works. At least I know if I work on these goals, I'm moving toward the, the, the bigger picture goal. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, let's see here. I have just a couple more questions for you. I know we're getting close to our hour here. Um, no. How would you? Not, not a problem. Oh, yeah. No, you're, you're fine. Okay. So let's see here. Uh, what soft skills have given you the biggest return on your investment when building a professional network? Hmm. Uh, I'd say the first one is empathy, right? People in, uh, people are diverse. People are very, very different. And, to understand people, I mean, to, to be able to connect to people, you have, you have to understand them, right? So I think that's the biggest thing I learned was how to understand other people. So people have different lifestyles and religious views, political views. I want to understand why they feel that way, why they believe those things, even if I don't necessarily believe in the same thing. And that helps avoid a lot of problems and a lot of conflict. And it also helps to connect with people because... Uh, I find that people generally don't agree with, I mean, don't like people that they don't agree with, but it's because they don't understand them. And that's all. So empathy, understanding other people uh, has been one of the greatest skills I learned. Another one is uh, I'm, I'm, I don't really like talking to people, but I've had to learn, uh, make conversations, uh, connect with people. And that's been uh, amazing because I've met some of the most wonderful people through just walking up to someone and saying, hi, what's your name? What's your story? You know, it's not something that comes very easy for me, but learning to do it has, 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 been, has, been, has been very good. Yeah. So I'll tell you, empathy and learning to approach people. 
Okay, perfect. That's those are awesome uh, ways to. I mean, I like immediately when I hear those things, I'm just like, man, like where do you where do you go acquire that knowledge? Is it just through like you know the pain of having bad experiences? <laughs> like, I, I mean, can you? Is it possible to read it out of a book? You know, like what what you know? Is it just hardwired? Well, like, yeah. Like, like anything in life, uh, you, there's theory and there's, there's practice, right? Yeah. So um, what I'd say is to understand people, uh, Twitter has been great for me because Twitter allows me to hear the voices of so many different people. So I follow all sorts of people, you know, from different diverse backgrounds. So following people and hearing their stories will help you understand them. Hmm. Uh, and so follow as many or as, as many people as you can from diverse backgrounds. That's, that's how you can learn empathy. Or if you can talk to people, uh, put yourself immersed in people's culture or in people's uh, countries or whatever, in the backgrounds of people that you want to get close to, you know, that will help you to understand. And then uh, when you're talking about a book, I have read a few, uh, I think, there's a book by a developer called John Sonnes. He runs simpleprogrammer.com. Yeah. Uh, he wrote a book, uh, uh, it's called, it's called um, Soft Skills That Every Developer Needs or something. But it's, it's got soft skills in the title. And it, it, it talks about this in, in great length. Uh, for instance, how to, how to build soft skills, how to build a brand, how to be successful as a developer. And uh, it focuses on the, the soft skills and not the technical skills that you need. So, that's, that's a good uh, book to read if you're looking to learn that stuff from a book. But of course, you have to go out there and practice. You have to talk to people uh, just without any, in, without any end goal. You know, just talk to someone to get to know them. Don't yeah. go there with an motive, you know. And that, that helps connect with a lot of people. Cool. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Uh, how would you mm-hmm. build your brand if you had to start over tomorrow? I guess I'll do the same thing I've done. Uh, I'll create an online presence. I would uh, make meet as many people as I can, figure out how to solve problems for them. I get the right reviews, give me testimonials, glowing testimonials. Uh, that's, that's what I'll do, yeah. Okay, great. And uh, why is it, relatively easy for you to get clients and jobs right now? So it's about uh, creating a brand, right? So generally clients and employers don't trust uh, people who apply for jobs because they don't know anything about them, right? But when you have a brand or we have some sort of say a blog, it's easy for someone to look you up and figure out whether you have the skills they need or the personality that they like. Just from going through your Twitter or your social media or your, the content of your, of your blog. So I find that when I'm interviewing uh, with, with, with clients, it's, it's most of that work is done for me because they'll go through my, 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 online resources like, oh, okay, this guy blogged about this, blogged about that. Does he know how to do this? And if they don't find any of that, that's when they're asking the, in- that's what they're asking in the interview. So mm-hmm. I find that because I have a blog, it's, 
easier for me to get clients compared to someone who doesn't. Uh, this might be different from, uh, for other developers, I don't know, but for me, it's relatively easy. It's not easy, but it's easier. Yeah. Easier if you didn't have that, that kind of infrastructure in place. Exactly. Easier yeah. if I didn't have it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, okay, so we talked about Opia. W what attracted to you or what attracts you most to that project? I know it's like a great learning resource, but is there anything else that you wanted to add on Opia? It's, it's their mission. Uh, what their mission is, is to provide free uh, uh, and interactive learning experiences to people from underserved communities, right? So take, for instance, in Africa, there's gen a general shortage of math and science teachers, right? So uh, a, a platform like that could be used to help students from Africa learn math and science. Right, so that's what attracted to me. Okay, this is a very useful tool that could be impactful in the lives of other people. So that's what that's what made me want to contribute to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, and do you have like if if that's triggers somebody else to uh, maybe in the audience to want to collaborate with that? How would they um, get in touch with that group? Is it pretty easy? Like you just look them up and and fire off an email or. So, so getting uh, start getting started with Opia isn't as easy as it as getting started with Mozilla. Uh, it's a smaller team, a very busy team. There's lots of work they're working on. But the way it works is, uh, you go to the website. It's opia.org. There should be a link to contribute or volunteer, and you specify what sort of volunteer work you want to do. So, say you want to do design work for them, click on the design link, and then there's a form you fill out where you state your interest, and then someone from the team will usually email email you back in a, in, a, in a few days. They also have a, a chat, it's a Gitter chat group that you can join to ask questions and have GitHub page discuss issues and a very detailed wiki on, on how, to, how to get involved. So I will add links to those in the, in the notes and the description. Okay, great. Thanks for sharing that. And uh, another thing I wanted to touch on, when the going gets tough and we want to quit, what is your message? Well, you'll feel like quitting, but just don't. Just keep going. <laughs> keep going at it. Um, the message is um, <laughs> trust the process. Uh, keep going. You, it will click eventually. Things will fall into place eventually. So just keep going. Um, you know, I, I had a problem with learning Python. I, I found it very difficult because I find programming difficult. And so it didn't come naturally to me. And, for a long time, I thought I was dumb or stupid, but then I figured out, no, I'm not dumb. This stuff is just hard, you know, <laughs> yeah. thinking of ways to talk to a computer and telling a computer what to do isn't easy. So if, if to anyone who's listening, watching, if you're going through a hard time learning development and, and that sort of thing, and you're thinking you're not smart enough, it's not that. Computer science programming is difficult. Um, just push through it. Keep going. Don't give up. It's going to fall into place and it's going to click. I mean, and you won't even realize it. Uh, just one day, it's just that you have an aha moment, light bulb moment. Yeah, that's that's an awesome message. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? 
Huh. I'd say uh, it's, it's, I took this from uh, the Google motto. I don't know if they still use this. It's don't be evil, right? <laughs> that sums up pretty much all the code of conduct uh, documents I've ever seen. Just don't be evil. Be a nice person. Be nice to everyone around you. Yeah, that's, that's uh, uh, something to live by. I love it. Thanks. Uh, what about a uh, good non-technical book that you think we should read in 20, well, going into 2020, I guess? Uh, there's a book called Off to be the Wizard. I'm not, I can't remember who the author is, but it's about, it's a, it's a fiction book. It's, a, it's about a programmer who discovers a file on a server and this is a special file. When, what, any tweaks he makes to the file uh, actually tweak the reality. So he, any modifications he makes to the file actually affect reality. So he discovers that he can tweak his bank account, tweak his looks, and he starts doing that, and then he gets into trouble with the FBI. And then to escape the FBI from the FBI, he, he runs away and goes back in time into medieval England and poses as a wizard. <laughs> so he, he wants to computer programming skill to pretend to be a hacker and whatnot. So I, I really enjoyed that book and I think every programmer needs to needs to read it. It's a it's a funny, hilarious, nerdy, nerdy book. It's called Off to Be the Wizard. Off think, to be uh, the wizard. Yeah. Well I'll uh I'll make sure that's part yeah, of the call to action here. Let's see here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll make I'll make sure that's in the call to action in the links and stuff. <laughs> that's awesome um what about uh programming languages going into 2020 are you excited about any particular ones or are you just uh uh probably python is somewhere on there um <laughs> so i will be using python probably but i'm learning javascript now and i've been hearing a lot of talk about typescript and uh, graphql so i'll look into those next year Awesome. Uh, what do you think is, what do you want people to get out of this interview? Three things. Um, firstly, if you're learning development and uh, you're just in the trenches, just keep going, right? Don't give up and find a network. Find people who are support group, people who be online. Uh, it's better if you can find people you can meet with physically in a meetup or at a conference or something. Uh, but try and find people who can support you. Don't give up. Um, another thing would be if you can create some sort of online presence, a portfolio, a blog, a screencast, it will serve you in the long term. And uh, oh, I'll be open for new uh, clients in January. So if you're listening to this and you need a junior to intermediate developer to hire, I'm open. Yes. <laughs> I'm available. Yes. So yeah, that's, that's it. Mm -hmm. No, thanks. Thanks for bringing that up. And uh, how do people like, what's the best way for people to reach out to you and connect? Is it like the socials like LinkedIn and Twitter? Should we send them to a blog? I'll put the links in the description as well. Oh, yes. So the best way is to, I'm active on Twitter and uh, another way is go to go on my website. So Twitter is the best way to reach out to me. Okay, perfect. Well, with that being said, I, I think we'll uh, wrap up the show here. Uh, this has been a blast. Buisile and, and Levu, 
thank you so much for coming on the show and uh, I'm, I look forward to see what no, thanks for having me. Ben. Yeah, this has been a lot of fun. All right, folks. Uh, we'll talk to you soon.